0: You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome to the Future of Pharmacy Podcast, featuring the innovators transforming medication management. The Future of Pharmacy Podcast is brought to you by OmniCell now here's our host, Ken Perez. Welcome to the Future of Pharmacy podcast. I'm Ken Perez, OmniCell Vice President of Healthcare Policy and Government Affairs, and I'm your host. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're very excited that you found us and ask that you subscribe to our podcast series. From a legislative standpoint, the 340B drug pricing program is a triumph. Operating for nearly 30 years with strong bipartisan support in Congress, the program provides vital financial support to nonprofit hospitals while remaining taxpayer neutral. Through the program, drug manufacturers provide discounts to eligible healthcare providers that serve a key role in public health by providing care to uninsured and underinsured populations. The program requires drug makers to participate in 340B if they want to participate in Medicaid. Today, the 340B program is considered an important element of hospital finance in many communities, but a variety of industry and regulatory pressures make it increasingly complex to manage. What was once easily managed within the hospital pharmacy department now often requires a cross-functional approach that extends to the finance department, operations, and healthcare providers. Joining me today to share their insights about the 340B program's recent evolution are two experts who live with these changes every day. First, from Penn Highlands Hospital in Du Bois, Pennsylvania, where he serves as 340B Manager, let's welcome to the program, Eric Yorfido. Eric, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thanks, Ken, thanks for having me on.
0: And we also have Senior Director for OmniCell 340B Operations, Charles Herner. Welcome, Charlie. Hey, Ken, thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to the conversation today. Thank you. Charlie, a complex program like 340B is impossible to explain in a 30-minute podcast, but please provide some context for our audience. What are some highlights of the program that have led us to the increased complexities that we see today?
2: Sure. I think the first thing to remember about 340B is it's really an um, inventory purchasing program, right? You have the opportunity with it to purchase through a 340B account at a, at a cheaper Cost than you do through a traditional GPO or WAC account, and it's designed for outpatient prescriptions. That's the regulation, and it works for outpatient dispenses. You would use your 340B inventory. You have to, you know, when you look at the history, it was initially set up as uh, a actual physical inventory within pharmacies. So the, the ph- pharmacy within the hospital would actually have a a 340B inventory and a non 340B inventory separated out, and they would. You know, based off of where they what they were dispensing to, whether inpatient or outpatient, they could pick the stock accordingly. With that, it got complex over the time with the spread of it, with contract pharmacy coming in place. The organizations, you know, realized with the benefit there that it needed to move to a to a stock replacement program. And with that, there was the advent of virtual inventories. Um, so now really every pharmacy, um whether it's in the hospital or a contract pharmacy. Uh, is set up in a manner that their on-premise inventory is typically considered non 340b right and at the point of dispense it is it is a retrospective stock replacement based off of virtual inventory where it becomes 340b
0: and is this virtual inventory model the the norm today
2: it has to be today right if you look at the history right we had the ACA on 2010 which expanded the program added different eligible covered entities it added unlimited contract pharmacies Um, And and the scope of the program was drastically increased. So so now you needed a really robust way to manage it. Um, And then you added in 2012 with the Health uh, Resource and Service Administration, HRSA, uh, added the auditing requirements for the covered entities. um, And that introduced a lot of new responsibilities. So you needed a virtual inventory to manage it, as well as operationally within the The pharmacy, it was pretty tricky to know, I have to go grab it from this shelf, or I have to go over here and grab it from this shelf because you're trying to manage two separate inventories. With a virtual inventory, you can handle it as a stock replacement program, and it gets a lot easier from an operational management, but also from a compliance and auditing standpoint as well.
0: Thanks for that explanation. Eric, could you help familiarize our audience with Penn Highlands and Du Bois Hospital and how the 340B program has evolved there?
1: Sure. So, uh, we're a dish hospital in Northwest Pennsylvania, kind of a a semi rural area. So we had been, we had been operating with three hundred and forty B, you know, in the mixed use setting for, for quite some time. Um, when I graduated, uh, pharmacy school, 2010, just about, just about the right time when, when the contract pharmacy, you know, regulations hit. So I kind of got tasked with kind of getting this program going in the very beginning, we were a a very small, very small network. Uh, I think we had roughly 30 child sites, uh, maybe 40 physicians. So we quickly, we quickly saw the benefit, you know, in the program and we, you know, we kind of had that inflection point, um, like so many, you know, smaller kind of rural hospitals do, you know, we were either gonna kind of bore into this program or, you know, just kind of stick with what we were doing. You know, we had two or three just independent contract pharmacies and um, you know, we're kind of managing it that way. But um so thankfully uh we made the right decision at the time and uh we kind of poured a lot of resources into it. You know, we went from, I believe 30 child sites to 110 child sites, roughly about a year and a half, two years. So it was a it was a quick scale. But, um, you know, at the time we had kind of had the foresight to do some of those things that have helped us out as a a hospital system now.
0: Well, thanks for sharing those insights into how your program to the 340B program management has really evolved over the years. And it sounds like the 340B program is critical to your organization. So tell us how you manage the pressures of balancing patient care and standard pharmacy operations while also managing the financial aspects of the program
1: but 340B really as a whole has made us a better system. So the, so the program has just cleaned up a lot of processes across the board. So once we really started diving into the 340B program and scaling up, you know, we noticed, uh, you know, we noticed some pretty big gaps with our outpatient documentation system, with our charging, with our ordering. So, Kind of getting into that in a little more detail. So what what we would see when we started an started audit, auditing process for the 340B is, you know, a lot of our physicians were maybe paper charting still. They were kind of writing incomplete notes. They weren't addressing diagnoses as thoroughly as they should. So what that did for my team when we were auditing, so a lot of these perhaps eligible prescriptions in the contract pharmacy settings, we just weren't having the appropriate documentation to feel comfortable with folding them into the program. So um, that's something that we identified fairly quickly. So we really tightened up our really tightened up, you know, our that aspect of our clinic documentation. So another thing that we were seeing was the ordering process in the clinics. Um, so we were fairly mismanaged, you know, early on with that, overordering, um, really not having a formulary, just kind of things outdating all the time, excess, excess stock, stuff like that. So we kind of standardized a lot of the ordering processes and we put in, you know, a pretty limited formulary for a lot of our clinic outpatient purchases, and as well as in the hospital setting for our outpatient purchases. So our pharmacy buyer, you know, sometimes you get in the habit it's the end of the day, you know, we're just gonna, we're just gonna quick order this real quick. I already sent the order. So, you know, a lot of the things we were doing, maybe they were splitting out and going to whack, but we had 340B, you know, eligible replenishments that we could have ordered. So, you know, what 340B did was it really kind of brought down our brought down our spend in the mixed use side. And then on the clinic side, you know, just kind of really cleaned up a lot of the processes and a lot of the waste, a lot of the charging errors, you know, we found through auditing. And another kind of benefit of what what that has done. So you know, we've we've grown into like a six hospital health care system, all with 340B programs except one. So when we merge with these other hospitals, we're able to take those procedures that we kind of standardize and implement them right away. We know what to look for. We know what, you know, we know what pitfalls are there for for a smaller hospital. You know, we know what they're probably not doing because they probably don't have the resources to allocate to it. So that that's helped us really. Identify and target things quickly. Get them corrected quickly. Get them up to our standards on a fairly quick manner. And uh, you know, it's really made us just a stronger health system in general. But um, you know, three forty B was really the, the driver for all those processes.
2: Hey Eric, how does the pharmacy department influence the physician groups in making sure they chart orders better?
1: So that was kind of a painful process, actually. Telling a physician that's been practicing for thirty years, like, "Hey, you have to start." <laughs> you're not doing it right. You have to start doing it this way. But um, that's something that we were very fortunate to have was, was, you know, backing from senior management. So they were really on board with kind of what we were doing and the processes that we were putting in place. So having that support from the C-suite, I would say is just as critical as having staffing for your 340B department. You really need that total buy-in system-wide to get some of these things accomplished, or it's just, uh, it's just not going to
0: happen in my experience. You're listening to the Future of Pharmacy podcast. I'm Ken Peres, your host, speaking with Eric Yorfido and Charlie Herner. Now, Charlie, let's turn now to the state of the program in 2021. What are the current challenges the 340B covered entities are facing?
2: Ken, one of the big things that we've seen in the past year, right, increase from the pharma manufacturers on, on attempts to limit the scope of contract pharmacy and really limiting the ability for for replenishment at the contract pharmacy level and that activity you know has put a lot of pressure on our on ces even despite this activity you know the program still has strong support from congress and a lot of grassroots efforts to improve it but you know that manufacturer pressure is probably a big one now there's a lot going on with that it's currently being um, reviewed through the adr process through hrsa Um, there is some legal challenges to that but those look to be more procedural on the implementation of adr not about the merit of the challenges towards pharma related to limiting the ability to order products. In addition, right, to that, there's other challenges related to, um, you know, with really COVID right now, where this past year has been a pretty big impact, right? And one of the, one of the things you've seen there is an increase in, in uh, mail order pharmacies, about a 2% shift from what I've seen on, on our book of business of patients moving from retail locations to mail. And so what can that cause, right? That can cause um, prescriptions to move out of your normal contract network into the mail network. So it's an opportunity to really expand into the mail network, which is really starting to grow now again um, within the 340B area. So with telemedicine, right, you've seen that impact from COVID where we're now that's created this charting order, which Eric was referencing. And and we really need different ways to look at how we um, can qualify scripts so that we can continue to keep... Um, driving that opportunity to the CE, as well as you know the specialty um, increase that's been happening in the last you know 10 years. But um, one of the big issues within that is on contracting and the ability to replenishment. Um, there are some ta- tactics in place with some of the specialty manufacturers that are that prevent the ordering at the contract pharmacy level due to their limited distribution networks and things of that nature. But all in all, I I think the biggest the biggest challenge right now is the um, the pharma, pharma pharmaceutical manufacturers and limiting the scope of contract pharmacy.
0: So, about those actions, um, have covered entities really felt an impact?
1: We take calls daily. It's been months and months since, since these restrictions have taken place, and we still we still take calls daily. We have a fairly expansive care card program throughout our contract pharmacy network. Um, it's it's been in place for ten years, really. So you know, these patients have become reliant on the program uh, to a certain degree. And, you know, pretty much, you know, the manufacturer restrictions pretty much wiped out every insulin on the market. So they they went from paying, you know, a certain price to paying a lot lot more of a price for that insulin. So that's forced covered entities like us to try to find creative ways to help these patients out. So that's, we're fortunate enough to have a few entity-owned pharmacies. So we can still purchase and provide those those products to the patients, but at the same time, you know we're driving away business from partners in our community that you know we've worked with for ten years that we have good working relationships with. So a lot of the independent pharmacies, stuff like that, that insulin, that insulin script, you know, is coming to our pharmacy now. Well, more than likely, some of those other scripts are, are coming to our pharmacy now too, and that they're leaving the independent stores pharmacy and we're a a smaller community. That's, that's really not how we envision it. Like to operate. It's not, not the best. Uh, Definitely, definitely a a huge burden.
2: You know, I want to, you know, reiterate to what what your point was earlier, the whole, um, the whole structure design of 340B is to allow the covered entities to stretch their scarce federal um, resources as far as possible. Right. And you've already kind of gone into how that's helped your hospital provide much more patient care, become much more robust in your, small rural community that without that um, patients would be traveling hours to get the same similar types of care. And so I I just got to say, I hope, hope everything continue works out through the ADR process and we get this resolved.
1: Yes. So you really, you really hit the nail on the head there with that, because again, you know, in a small community like we have, so we're kind of sandwiched in between Pittsburgh and Erie um you know state college out to the east but you know just just in our immediate counties we provide i mean we have endocrinology clinics you know in several towns and counties we have cardiovascular we have you know neurology we have rheumatology we have several oncology practices so all of these kind of advanced cares we certainly would not we certainly would not be able to offer you know the patients if, if it weren't for the 340B resource um that that's that's probably you know the main thing that that drives these clinics because you know if we didn't have them well then okay you have a pulmonology visit you have to drive to Pittsburgh and a lot of people can't do that and it puts a burden on the families or you have to have surgery and so you got to go to Pittsburgh or you got to go to Erie then the family's got to stay over in a hotel and all these things you know they don't happen in a vacuum all these things you know it's a chain reaction you take away one thing and several dominoes fall so hopefully this is kind of the, the turning point where we can get some of these things turned back around and get this process smoothed out.
0: So Eric, could you share a little bit more about some of the programs that you've been able to advance at uh, Penn Highlands Dubois? Bois?
1: Um, yeah, sure. So uh, as I mentioned, we have the, we have that care card program, um, which is widely used. We, we offered the, you know, the underinsured, we, we had offered it at any contract pharmacy that would accept the program. That's That's really been, you know, God sent to our community. We receive calls and emails daily with, uh, you know, thank you. And this is such a great program. And, you know, it's been that way for a long time. That's something that I'm really proud of. Um, also we have a diabetic management program, you know, to help, help people get their insulins cheaper. Um, we give them readers and strips and pretty much all their diabetic testing supplies. Uh, we have uh, a free clinic that we offer you know that that our physician staff and medications are given away for free and so a lot of a lot of community benefit you know we provide that is allocated from our 340b benefit you know through the hospital all or most of those things would would go away you know if if the 340b benefit wasn't
0: there so, given this broad range of programs that are being supported by this, it's clear that you know it makes sense that the finance department is um, certainly aware of this program. So, can you share more about your relationship with finance and and their level of involvement with the three hundred and forty B program?
1: It was our CFO was probably our biggest biggest advocate in the beginning. So he he bought in pretty quickly to, to what we were doing and where we wanted to go and how we wanted to scale the program, you know, and like I had mentioned when we had ran into some of these obstacles in the, in the clinic space or with the physicians or, you know, kind of helps to have that ally on your side to, to, you know, get, get the gears, get the gears moving on some of these things and get the wind blown in your direction. Um, he was certainly instrumental in that also what he was instrumental is. In, so when I first started, I was, kind of splitting time in between the hospital pharmacy, you know, doing some, some clinical pharmacy work and, uh, just, you know, on the side, I was kind of doing, doing this 340 B thing that, that no one heard about, or no one no one in the hospital knew about. Um, so once he kind of saw the benefit of the program and, you know, the, the revenue benefit of the program, you know, he was able to kind of split me off a job, you know, and kind of, kind of run from there. Also, Throughout the years, when, when we've acquired these other hospitals with 340B programs, he's been a big advocate for us with staffing. So that's really helped. Uh, that, that's really helped. You know, we have a staff of uh, seven now, I believe, which, which includes, you know, enrollment and compliance. And that, that's, a huge, that's a huge win for us because there's, especially now, you know, with, with so many eyes on the program, I mean, we really pride ourselves with, with really paying attention to our compliance and everything that we're doing. Those are all the benefits of having that working relationship with the CFO, but there was like an initial learning curve with, with some of the billing cycles and, you know, also with some of the, some of the, the smaller independent pharmacies, um, maybe they, maybe they lag K a little bit more than, than the chain pharmacies and their payments. So, um, just kind of getting him to understand the whole scope of the financial picture, you know, 340 B and in the understanding of it, because then he turns around, he has to present it to our board. So that's certainly a lot, certainly a lot better than, than me having to do it. So having him, uh, you know, having him well-versed in, in, in everything financially that's going on with the program has been a, it's been a big benefit to me.
0: Tremendous relationship. This is the Future of Pharmacy podcast. I'm Ken Perez, your host, joined by our special guests, Eric Yorfido and Charlie Herner. Now, Charlie, how common is this dynamic pharmacy finance relationship that Eric just described
2: for 340B? Yeah, we're seeing it uh, more and more. You know, there's an increased uh, attention to the program, right, as it adds value and really helps the um, covered entity fund expansion of care in their their communities. The robust reporting requirements that are in place, the emphasis on, you know, being able to do analytics, uh, being able to be, you know, reporting on compliance, showing how that the 340B program provides value in your community. Those continue and are, are very important. Um, the other thing I, I will say is, you know, Eric talked a little bit about getting the physician groups and some of them to improve their charting behavior and practice behavior. Right. And I, I think what he said was critical. Right. That engagement and backing by your C-suite and your CFO in particular, I, I believe, helps drive that um, change within those other operational groups. And without that, I, you know, I've seen other other covered entities I've worked with, where they don't have that relationship, and we'll see that it, you know, it looks, it looks like it's pro, you know, probably a charting issue on why we're seeing um, opportunity missed within the program, and in the three, you know, the pharmacy departments having a hard time influencing that change of practice, and so when you see this alignment, you see that ability to get the whole system buy-in to help get the most out of the program to help expand care in their in their community.
1: So. Piggyback on that, you know what Charlie was saying too with the telemedicine a, a little bit ago, kind of tying a bow around these two things together. So w- with COVID, you know we we did see there obviously some some changes happen. Um, you know I would say COVID pulled forward, you know our plans probably by about two years. So with with having that institutional backing, you know from senior management from the C suite, what that allows us to do is be be pretty nimble on our feet, right? So when something like COVID happened and we have to pivot to telemedicine rapidly, all right, there's not a lot of, not a lot of pushback. All right. Because it's coming from the highest level that this is what we're doing. This is how we're implementing it. And this is the direction that we're going. So there, there's been a few things like that over the years that, you know, because of that relationship, because of that, that backing, you know, we've, we've been able to pivot pretty quickly when it's benefited us. And we've, we've been able to, kind of drill down on some areas that, you know, have, have really kind of improved us as a system and, and helped us kind of, you know, generate more benefit for the, for the program.
0: So Charlie, we've talked a lot about the support of finance and relationship between finance and pharmacy, and also just uh, cross-functional collaboration. Can you give us an example of cross-functional collaboration in this area?
2: So within your, you know, health systems and covered there's a lot of um, various and unique workflows, as well as um, you know, various EMRs or medical record systems um, that can vary, you know, across the covered entity. You know, they could have a different one within the clinic than within their main hospital system. Um, and there's just you know, a lot of different situations that can arise that require some customized approach or strategies. But one that comes to mind is within specialty um, pharmacy, you'll see a lot of hubs that come into play and the, and the hubs work to help get the patient to the right um, to a pharmacy that has access to the drug. And so you'll see a lot of, you know, specialty providers actually use facts in the referrals to these hubs. And the, and the problem that generates is sometimes those don't get captured in their EMR. And so then there's not a hospital event to match up to potentially that dispense that happens under their care. Um, so there's gotta be some workflow modifications, either, to address that, they're either within your your third party administrator or within your 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 covered entity itself. And within your TPA, your third party administrator, there's there's options. You know, there's abilities to think about maybe a, a partial qualify or, or where there's a partial match to the an event in the hospital, or or the patient's care, and it can allow for the you know the covered entity to review that those claims and make a uh, make sure that they have that. Um, can justify that is their patient and that they did provide this care and qualify that script instead of relying on a purely um, algorithm-based method which can account for these kind of anomalies that may come up especially when you're dealing with high cost um, therapies within specialty
0: so if i'm understanding this correctly it, it sounds like what you're describing here is is kind of an offline step that can't be captured in an automated process right
2: with an automated system if it's if if you can't match 100% on a percent, you're just going to want to carve it out and potentially give up all that value. Um, so this allows for that kind of hybrid approach to have partial automation, as I call it, um, but still keep a compliant way of reviewing it and ensuring that CE keeps in, in accordance with the 340B program and with their program guidelines. Taking the time to analyze what's not being captured in your 340B program is vital to getting the most out of the out of the program and delivering the opportunity for that hospital to expand their resources. Um, we've seen some success with different clients in using this what we say maybe or partial, um, qualified and allowing the CE to manually review it. I know we we're doing some of that at Penn Highlands today. Uh, Eric, you want to share some of that?
1: Using this approach for for partial claims in our outpatient setting has been a great benefit for our for our organization. We use it at every facility. And uh, you know, again, that's a easy way to get justification, you know, for help for your 340 B positions, if that's something that you're interested in. Um, because it definitely definitely takes time and it's definitely an additional, you know, burden. So I think your ROI, your ROI is gonna be good enough where you can get some uh get 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 help on the back end to kind of qualify some of these claims.
2: Yeah, Eric, actually, you know, we've um we've had other clients use it and and justify you know staff to actually run the 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 manual review process um, i know at least in one case there was a i think they were qualifying 100 100 times their their salary in 3 in 340b savings opportunities um, so 101 roi is pretty good on an on an fte at all i think most cfos will take that <laughs> any chance they can get
1: so w- within our staff, I mean, I, I do, a, I do a good bit of it when I have time, but you know, every, everyone kind of chips in, but, um, I mean, we have, uh, you know, on a- any given week, I mean, we may, we may qualify, you know, two, three, 4,000 prescriptions through that, you know, kind of mm-hmm. through that approach. So is it worth it? Sure. You know, that, that's, uh, that's pretty easy math right there.
2: <laughs> yeah, and I think you spot you, you up a good point about it too, related to like physicians moving across a, um, in a health system that could work in moonlight in different departments. And sometimes they forget to update the department they're in when they go in the system. And it could easily be they, they saw the patient in an eligible department, they, they prescribed it in an eligible department, but they actually charted it like they were in the, ineligible, right? And now was- you can get that opportunity to review and qualify it. Um, So so
1: we see that quite a bit, actually, you know, a prescriber will be, a prescriber will be logged into, um, you know, the opposite, opposite clinic, opposite town, opposite facility, but um, maybe they're slow that day. So they're doing all their, they're doing all their backlog charting, stuff like that. Um, We see that on a daily basis. That's, that's a very, very common thing that, you know, Hey, we, we'd have to throw those scripts away, you know, in, in any other setting. So it's definitely worth it, definitely worth the resource, but it is it, it can be a little time intensive, but definitely worth it.
0: Well, gentlemen, thank you for your comments and insights. And that's all the time we have for today. I want to thank our expert guests, Eric Yorfito, 340B manager for Penn Highlands Hospital in Du Bois, Pennsylvania, and Charlie Herner, senior director, OmniCell 340B operations. We so appreciate you joining us today for the Future of Pharmacy podcast and for OmniCell I'm Ken Perez. Thanks for listening. This has been the Future of Pharmacy podcast, featuring the innovators transforming medication management. Until next time, don't get stuck in the clouds. The Future of Pharmacy podcast is brought to you by OmniCell.